So this morning I want you to turn to the book of Psalms. Psalm 105. Psalm 105, and just one verse out of it, verse number 4. Psalm 105, verse 4, simply says, Seek the Lord. How many think that's good advice? Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face evermore. And as a congregation, we have set aside this last month, which is now past, just for a season of concentrated seeking the Lord. We need His presence. We need to press into the kingdom, press in to know Him in a greater measure than we ever have. It's an ongoing, lifelong thing. Keep pressing in to know God better than we did yesterday. This verse says, Seek the Lord and His strength. And this verse has some special meaning for me in particular because it will take me back to when I was a teenager a long time ago. It take me back to something that happened to me when I was a teenager. As a teenager, if you heard my testimony, I was a person who was devoted to devouring the Word of God. When I was at the age of 16, I don't recommend this, but I dropped out of school so I could study my Bible. Now, mind you, I've finished my education now, it's okay. Uh, But I did drop out of school and I devoted myself to four hours a day of intensive Bible study at the age of 16. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. I, I did such a thing. I had then, and I still have today, all these many decades later, an insatiable desire to understand the Scripture, to understand the Word in all its fullness. It's an ever-increasing journey, for sure. I was also yearning as a teenager more and more to know God's presence in my own personal life. I was fortunate to be have the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit at a very young age, early teens, and that made me very, very hungry for the things of God. My teenage years was years in pursuit of the presence of God and of the knowledge of God. I was attending a meeting during this phase in my life at a a church, and I remember there was being an altar call at the end of the message. I responded, as I always did. Whenever it was altar calls, I was always the first person to respond, the first person to the front, no matter what it was called about. Why? Because I was hungry and determined to have connection, divine connection with God, even as a teenager. And I was always the first person. You didn't have to wait for someone to respond. I responded, no matter what it was for. Because I just wanted to keep pressing in to the things of God. And I remember men of God laid their hands on me. And I remember I was deeply touched by the Spirit of God as I went forward for prayer. But you know, when I I went back and I remember kneeling at a pew and I remember bawling my eyes out in the presence of God, it was a very real, powerful experience that I was having with the Lord. And as a student of the Word, because I devoted myself to so much reading and study of the Scripture, 
As a student of the word, I saw that the scripture encouraged me to covet, to prophesy. It's in the Bible. Did you know that? It says covet, to prophesy. And so I went back for more. I'm greedy. I went back for more. And I had a special request. And I said, I want you to pray that God would use me in the gift of prophecy. And then I was given advice, which I look back on it, which threw me backwards. It threw me backwards. And the advice was this. Seek the giver, not the gift. Have you ever heard that? Seek the giver, not the gift. Now here the problem for me was, as I was seeking the giver, I was seeking the Lord. I yearned for a more intimate relationship with Him. I was literally soaking myself and memorizing the Scriptures for hours a day. It's not an exaggeration. I had a routine. I followed diligently of four hours a day as a 16-year-old to plow myself into Scripture and to memorize it and reading commentaries and you name it. I gave myself four hours a day at the age of 16 to intense understanding of the scripture. So I was soaking myself in this literally. I was yearning for a more interrelationship with him and I had no intention of seeking a, a spiritual high or seeking an experience that would take the place of a relationship with God because I know that it's an aversion to put the gift before the giver. I know that. However, I was puzzled by this advice because the scripture told me to covet, to prophesy. And the scripture told me to be zealous for spiritual gifts. So I really didn't comprehend this advice that was given to me. And it was almost implied that I needed to steer clear of the topic. No wonder some churches don't have a lot of manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. And so... What do I do? So I sought the Lord for an answer, and I went back home. Was I reading the scriptures wrongly? Soon after that, God settled the issue for me personally by highlighting Psalm 105 and verse 4 to me. The scripture that we read, where the instructions were twofold. Seek the Lord, but also seek his strength. And God used that scripture to speak into my heart and into my life. I was to seek the Lord. I was to pursue relationship with Him. But at the same time, I have to commit myself to seek that His will for my life and that His calling upon my life would come to fruition and I would have all the giftings necessary in my life to do what God has called me to do. And I was to seek God to, for, to be equipped for what He had called me to do. I was to seek the Lord and I was to seek His strength, His face. I am convinced of four things here. I am convinced, without any shadow of a doubt, that the plain teaching of the Scripture is that the world out there needs to see a demonstration of the power of God. Do you have that conviction? They need to see that we don't believe myths or fables. 
They need to know that Jesus really is risen from the dead. He really did defeat Satan, sin and death and the grave. He really did cast out demons. He really did heal the sick. And he's the same yesterday, today and forever. That he's ascended on high and he's still the God of the miraculous. And the sin sick world out there needs a confrontation with the power of God. I am convinced of that. I am convinced that the message that we are to preach to the world is that the long-awaited kingdom of heaven has arrived in the person and in the ministry of Jesus. And that same message has been commissioned to the church after he ascended. I am convinced that the Bible teaches that that message comes both in word and in power. That message will save people from their sins, but it will also displace the powers of darkness in their lives, both spiritually and physically. I am convinced. Amen. I am convinced that the person of the Holy Spirit is the agency by whom Jesus empowers His church through the distribution of gifts of the Spirit, and that the work of God, now listen to this, and the work of God is impossible. And what does impossible mean? It means not possible. Is it impossible to fulfill without the presence and the exercise of those gifts? I am convinced. The Bible says the gifts edify the church, encourage the church, and build the church. And those gifts also empower the church for outreach, evangelism, and missions. We have not been left to our own resources. How many can say hallelujah? We have not been left to our own wisdom. We have not been left to our own devices. We have been endued with so much more than our pathetic attempts. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Amen. I am convinced, the fourth thing I am convinced, that we are to seek His strength. Not just seek Him, but to seek His empowerment, to seek His endowment, to seek His strength. To fail to do this, to fail to pursue these things, always leads to neglect, and which ends up with the general waning of the supernatural power of God in the church, and the church slips back into a sleepy dormancy. And the church can easily settle into a routine with very little or no dynamic expression of the manifest presence of God. You have been hearing me say many times, both in speaking and if you hear me pray, that, Lord, I am presenting myself to you as a vessel through whom you may express yourself. I want you to express yourself through me. I want your compassion to shine through me. I want your mercy to shine through me. I want your love to shine through me. I want that to happen. But, Lord, I also want your power and the demonstration of your kingdom to work through me. You've heard me pray that many times. And so, Lord, 
I am presenting myself, and through this last month of prayer that we've had as a church, that has been my personal prayer, is God, every time I pray, I say it. Lord, I'm presenting myself to you. I want to be a vessel through whom you may express yourself. That we have to diligently seek that. Seek that indeed. Now, in order to be a vessel in whom God can express himself, there is a part that we must play. Let me say this, that the greatest enemy that we can have is passivity. The greatest enemy is passivity. When it comes to pressing into the things of God, passivity is a no-no. That is an enemy to us. So how do we seek the strength of the Lord? How do we purposely and actively seek the Lord and His strength? First of all, let me suggest that there are two sides to this equation, to seeking to making yourself available to God. There's two sides to the equation. God has got His side, and I've got my side. It's not all of God, and it's not all of me. It's always a divine cooperation, God working with us. There's two sides to this equation. There's God's side, and then there is our side. So let me first try to explore God's side of this. Let us understand how God gives supernatural gifts to his people. And it's important that we understand this. And there are two great misunderstandings that people would bring to this about how God will give us his gifts. Misunderstanding number one is that we think that the gifts are given to us as a legacy. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, an example would be if somebody died and left you in their will and you inherited a large amount of money simply because you're named in the will, then in that scenario, how many wish? (laughs) I mean, in that scenario, you can do whatever you want with the money without accountability. It's yours. That is not, I repeat, not, that's spelled N-O-T if you're taking notes, that is not how God gives his gifts. They're not given to us for us to use whatever way we see fit. It's not ours to do that. That's not how gifts are given. The second common misunderstanding that people have is that they leave all the initiative to God. We are simply passive receivers. This takes the view that if God wants to use me to lay hands on the sick then somehow, I don't know when or where or how it ever happened, but one day it's just going to happen. No, it's not just going to happen. That's not true. If God wants me to prophesy, God's going to have to literally come over me and take over my tongue. You die going to the grave without ever prophesying, without point of view. That's not how it works either. Unfortunately, People have been taught by bad example rather than by scripture. And we have seen brother or sister so-and-so who sometimes gives a prophetic word. And what happens is they somehow begin to shake and they can't even talk right anymore. And boy, that never happens to me and I've got to wait for that to happen. And it's a wrong impression. It's a wrong impression. 
God isn't just going to come and take over your being and force you to do something. That's a wrong misunderstanding as well. Neither of those two ideas is actually correct. The gifts are not given for us to use at our discretion as we see fit or according to our own plans. We're not to remain passive in this either. If we want to press into the kingdom of God, we have a responsibility. The proper way to view this is this. You are an actual recipient of whatever gift the Holy Spirit wants to impart you. And as such, you are, and listen to the word, an active partner. Not just a figurehead, not just as a passive instrument, but you are an active partner in how the gift is manifested. You're an active partner in how the gift is manifested. Every explosion of power in the things of the Spirit is always a combination of the sovereign manifestation of the Holy Spirit together with our cooperation and our human responsibility. The Holy Spirit provides the energy, the initiative, the anointing, whatever word you want to call it, and we cooperate. Some people who don't understand it has to be God and the person cooperating together Some people do all sorts of things and they will never receive teaching and never see correction because their excuse is, well, the Holy Spirit made me do it. The Holy Spirit made you do nothing. That's the excuse we're not understanding correctly. Um, The Bible teaches that the operation of a gift is clearly within the hands of the individual. 1 Corinthians 14.32, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. That means you, as a believer, you can control its manifestation, you can control its timing, and you can control the proper exercise of the gift. At no time does God just take over and you can't help yourself. That's not the case. At no time is the freedom of the human will ever impaired. You're not a medium that is possessed. That's demon talk. We're not mediums that are possessed. We are vessels that keep our personality intact. Keep our personality entirely conscious. And our will, our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings at no time ever get impaired. The Holy Spirit works with us. All right? And another thing to understand about receiving gifts from God and and pressing in to believe that God's going to use us in gifts is that the gifts are not given to you in the sense now you own it now. No, they belong to God and it's more you are a steward of the property that belongs to God. That's a better way of understanding the gifts of God in our life. You are a steward of something that belongs to God. So what is God's side in this equation? We have to work together, God and man. God's side in the equation. When it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, every gift is what's called a charisma. That's the Greek word. Hear the word charismatic. The Greek word for gift is charisma. And what it means is a portion of grace. God wants to show His grace through you by supernaturally empowering you. Amen. 
You can say amen to that. God wants to show His grace through you by supernaturally empowering you. Grace is always a concrete expression of something that God is doing. It's not abstract, but God wants to concretely do something through you on behalf of somebody else. Jesus had the fullness of the power. He was, he was the Messiah. He had the Spirit without measure upon Him. That's not true of you and me. I'm not the Messiah, and you're not the Messiah. But what God will do is He will grace us as members of His body with portions of grace. Now the Holy Spirit can manifest any gift through any person He sees fit. But, but it's more normal that we will all have particular giftings that are related to the call of God on our life. Let me say this. What gift you get is up to God. That's important. God makes the choices of what gifts. Now let's just read some verses in 1 Corinthians 12 to underscore that truth. God is sovereign. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit everybody else. It's the manifestation of the Spirit. But verse number 11, after he mentions nine types of spirit manifestations, in verse 11, he says, All these gifts are worked that one itself, same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. He makes the choice of which gifts go to which people. Verse number 18, it says, Now God has set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased Him. He's the one who chooses, and He's the one who organizes. Verse number 28, And God has set in the church. Now he talks about apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healings, but it's God who sets them. It's God who chooses. It's God who distributes. So the sovereign choice is the Lord's. So if you're in a meeting and somebody says, I want to give you my gift. Come over here and get you some. Don't bother. That's not how it works. I can't transfer a gift from me to somebody else. That's just sheer nonsense. It's common, but it's nonsense. It just does not happen. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, God distributes the gifts as He wills. Romans 12.6, as God wills. Nobody takes that honor unto himself. It's the calling of God. And then after God distributes the gifts to us, he still remains in charge. Amen. He still remains in charge. He's the director of his own work. We are laborers together with him, and we are to follow his leading and follow his direction. Now, in pressing in to seek the Lord's strength, is there something that you and I can do to help God make his choices? And actually, I think there is. Because the Bible teaches, Second Chronicles 16.9, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth, finding people to whom he can show himself strong. 
on their behalf. I know this much, that God is attracted to humility. Amen? God is attracted to humility. And I know this, that God delights in using people that the world rejects. I'm glad for that one. He delights in using people. The the people that the world says are worthless. They're just poor. They're small. They're insignificant. They have no wealth. They have no name. They have no fame. And the world rejects such people as useless. God says, I'll take them. I'll use them. As a matter of fact, I will use them to overthrow the wisdom of this world. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 God delights in taking the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of this world. I like what it says about Peter and John in Acts 4, 13. The, the enemies of, of the gospel couldn't figure out how Peter could say, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And a man who was lame for four decades, and everybody knew he was lame. This was not a plant just to, to make it look like we got miracle power. Everybody knew this man. Forty years he was lame. Never walked in his life. And he went walking and leaping. He went praising God. And it caught the attention of thousands of people. You're talking about dynamic, explosive missions here. Caught the attention of thousands of people. And the religious people couldn't figure it out because they looked at Peter and John and said, they're high school dropouts. They're they're ignorant and unlearned men. God delights in taking people that the world rejects and using them and empowering them to confound and to confuse that very world. All you have to do is read the book of Judges and who did God use? Who are some of the the names in the book of Judges that God used? A lot of them, nobody would ever in the right mind would choose them. But aren't you glad that God is attracted to humility? Amen? God is attracted to humility. When God created you, He had a special plan for you. There is a DNA that is peculiar to you that nobody else in this world has. Perhaps that's a blessing. (laughs) Nobody else has the DNA that you have. What that means is God has built into you right from conception... God has built into you certain characteristics into your nature and into your personality. Why? Because He wants to express Himself through you in a way that is unique to you that nobody else can ever copy it. I'll never be able to do the job that you can do. Never. And all I can say is hallelujah. That means I don't have to carry the load. I can never do the job that God has created you to do. And so when it comes, because you are unique, when it comes to the giftings, God will often take into consideration your peculiar temperament and your general makeup. He takes that into consideration. For instance, if you were created with a mind that loves to read and to study and you have this analytical mind. 
if that's just how you're wired, then it's quite possible God will call you to be a teacher. And God will give you insights with words of knowledge. And you see things that other people just can't ever seem to see. And just therefore, you just have that insight, you have that ability. If you are a person who was brought, brought into this world and you just have a strong will. Anybody have a children with strong wills? You just have a strong will. And you're a daring personality. You are a risk taker. That's built into your DNA. It's quite possible God wants to use you in gifts of power and workings of miracles. Because you're not afraid of risks. Matter of fact, you love the challenge of a risk. You see, there's some people, there's a lame man there, and Peter, you know, well, we see him, oh, poor man, he's been lame 40 years, we'll pray for him, Lord bless you. You know, I'll, 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 I'll give, you know, support you, mercy, mercy, mercy. There's other people who've got something else in their DNA. They're fiery-natured people. Some people don't think before they act. Peter was one of those impetuous people who didn't think before he acted. Something rose up within him when he saw that man. He says, we've got something better than alms to give this man. And I don't know if Peter thought about it twice or not, but he grabbed that guy by the hand and says, you're getting up. He's never walked in his life. The guy didn't ask for prayer. He asked for money. And but something came over Peter, and he grabbed him. And if, if you never walk, you're going to walk now or fall flat, one of the two. The guy didn't have a choice. They just, there was something about his nature. When Peter was in that boat, Lord, if that's you, let me walk on water too. And that voice said, come. Whatever that was out there said, come. Peter, he's an impetuous nature. I don't think he thought about it. He just got out. I mean, he's a daring, risk-taking type of person. That's his DNA. That's his personality. So that really is conducive to the expression of power gifts. The working of miracles. Risk-taking. Daring. Doesn't give it a second opinion. But then you've got other people who just... Their DNA is not like that. But their DNA is... They're very inwardly sensitive people. And if God has given you that kind of a, a temperament and disposition, it's very possible that God may equip you with what's called the discerning of spirits. And, and a power to discern things that other people can't feel or see. But you just know that you know that you know certain things. Other people are blind to it, but you just know. You can discern a person. You can discern a situation very easily and very quickly. Why? Because God built you with that. And the gift of discerning the spirits is probably more easily flow through you than, than other people. So God doesn't discard our personalities. We keep our personalities. Uh, but thank God we're all different. Amen? Aren't you glad you're all, all not like me? Come on. Aren't you glad God threw away the mold after that one? You can say amen if you want to. I'm setting this up for you. You know? However, let's never limit God to such things because God can do remarkable things with our character. He can change our disposition. My mother thought I would never leave the house. I was the boy that would never leave my mother's apron. 
and she's scratching her head at me now, and you traveled how far and how often, and, you know, when God comes into your life, He can do amazing things with your character, and amazing things, and He can bring out the DNA that you were created with, and the potential that you were created with. He can bring it all out and make you blossom in ways that you never thought were possible to blossom. The most timid person can become a very powerful upfront leader. Isn't that the truth? The most timid person can do it. Old Testament King Saul, before he was king, Samuel prophesied to him and he says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come on you, and you will be turned into another man. And as he went out from experiencing the Spirit of God, your Bible says, And God gave him a change of heart. And then when it came time to be anointed to be the king, he was scared, Saul was, and he was hiding. He said, I'm making myself scarce. God is on a search and going to point out who the king is. I'm going to make myself invisible. So he hides among the baggage. Where's Saul? Oh, nobody can find him. He's always hiding. He's going to be anointed to be king. And his disposition, he's hiding among the baggage. Well, you can't hide from God. He gets picked out, he gets anointed, he gets set in place as king. And then shortly after, when there's a situation, a crisis in the nation, that same man that wanted to hide, it says the Spirit of the Lord came on him. And he blew a trumpet. And he took some oxen, he cut them up in pieces. And he says, may God do this to any person who doesn't rally to the cause. And he just took dramatic leadership and the whole nation just came behind him because there was an explosion of the Spirit of God in his experience. God's part is to consider your DNA. God's part is to consider what gift he wants you to be manifesting which of the nine gifts or more gifts he wants to express through your personality and through your character and he's in charge of his own ministry he still directs it after he imparts gifts that's all God's decision now let's hit the other side of the equation what's man's side of the equation we want to seek the Lord and his strength what's our side of the equation what's my responsibility Before you ask the Lord, well, what gift do you want to manifest to me? You have to answer a more important question than that. And the more important question you should answer is, what ministry has God called you to? What ministry, what burden has God placed on your nature and in your character? What, what makes you tick? What's the DNA inside your heart? What do you desire to see accomplished? Some people want to... My, my whole life is about building the church, about edifying the church. Do you want to see people grow up and mature? Is that the burden that you have? Is the burden that drives your heart to see lost people saved? Is that the burden? Is the burden in your heart to bring relief to people who are suffering? Now what God will do is He will give you whatever gifts are needed to facilitate the burden He has placed on your heart. So the bigger question is not what gift should I be seeking. The question is what is the burden that God has placed on my heart and He will give me the gifts that go with that burden He has placed on my heart. If your great burden is you want to see the church edified, then likely 
you will excel in prophecy more than normal in a greater measure. If the lost are your burden, if you're always thinking about people who are not saved, then it's very possible God will anoint you with a word of wisdom in order to speak to people who don't know the Lord. Or He may offer you the gifts of power to demonstrate the authority of the Lord Jesus who is resurrected and ascended. If your desire is to see people mature in their thinking, then likely God will anoint you with a gift called word of knowledge. The greater question is more concerned with what calling has God put on your life, what's the burden that's within your heart, and then God will give you the gifts to facilitate and express and fulfill the calling and the burden. So God created you in a special DNA, put certain burdens within your heart, that's your nature, you can't ever get rid of it, it's what makes you think, it's how you tick, that's just who God created you to be, and God will give you gifts to fulfill that burden of your life. Now, a great trap that people fall into is is this, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, how could God use me? After all I did in my life. After, you know, I know I'm, I'm very thankful for that God can save me, but you know, God's saving me, that's just enough. I can't expect God to do any more than just saving me. I can accept His grace to get me saved, but you know, that's about the limit of God's involvement in my life. I'm, I'm just not worthy. Guess what? Nobody is. Can I say that again? Nobody is worthy. It's called grace. It's called grace. Nobody is worthy. It's all grace and the gifts are an expression of the grace of God. If we fall this, we keep tending our hang our heads down a little bit of shame instead of lifting up our high, heads high because of His redemption and His grace. Get rid of that shame. It's not of God. It's not right. It's not biblical. It's a lie. Nobody is worthy. But God is gracious. And God wants to. And God desires. And God delights in taking the people who have made total messes of their lives, changing them by the power of the Spirit, gifting them, and setting them loose on this world that rejects them. Amen. That's His heart. That's His burden. That's His desire. So don't buy into the lie that you are unworthy. It is a lie that needs to be eradicated. God will respond to our dedication. God will respond to our consecration. I've discovered in my life that the greater the sense of calling on your life, the deeper the consecration I have to work out in my burden, my life. The stronger the burden I have, the more demand seems to be made on my life. That's just the way it works. When we receive supernatural gifts, be prepared for new levels of battle. How many discover when you press into know God, all hell gets set loose at times? Have you ever noticed that? 
I'd do both at the same time if I could. But, you know, you're pressing in. And then it just seems as if thing after thing after thing gets unleashed into your life. It's not even your doing. It's just everything gets thrown into your path. That's normal. I wish it wasn't, but it is. You just have to learn to press. That's why Jesus said every man presses into the kingdom because as we set ourselves to seek God, to seek his face and to seek his strength there is an opposition out there that doesn't want us to make breakthrough in God and so we need to learn to expect it I wish it wasn't the case, I really wish it wasn't but it is and we just have to learn to keep pressing no matter what We need to surrender ourselves. God has got a call on your life. I am not a believer in a professional clergy and a passive congregation. I don't make a distinction between clergy and laity. I don't find that in the scripture. What I am standing before today is an army of people called and gifted by God. Amen. And that is a great relief to me because that means I don't have to do all the work. Because I can't anyway. I can't take your place. I cannot do what God has placed in your heart. I can't do it. It's not me. God is looking for the surrender of our lives to turn us into an army. We have to pray. That's why we, every once in a while we do this a month of prayer. Why do we do that? is because prayer will never take the place of God's sovereignty. Even though it's God's will to give gifts, the things of the Spirit are not received without earnestness on our part. They're not received without persevering on our part. They're not received unless we ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Passivity receives nothing. Did you catch that phrase? Passivity receives nothing. We need to know what we want. And we need to be definite in prayer, asking God for these things. You know me, I'm a teacher by temperament. And there's a lot of things out there in the broader, charismatic, spirit-filled world that I have great difficulty with when it comes to theology and doctrine. I think many people in the name of following the Spirit have thrown away common sense and good understanding of Scripture. But I will tell you one thing that I admire about some of the people I have great theological problems with. I'll tell you what I do admire. They're hungry. They're hungry. And they have a lot of expectation. And they have a zealousness. Even if I think they're wrong theologically, they still have a zealousness that needs to speak to the whole body of Christ. And another thing I noticed, that they're not afraid to get out of comfort zones. They're not afraid to be daring and take risks. And I admire that, even if I can't agree doctrinally. I admire that. The fact is, is this, that God responds to expectancy. God responds to expectancy. Faith will give a response when we sense God is moving. 
it's all too common for someone to sense the presence of the Lord and your heart is beating and you know you just you know, something's going on inside of you and you let the moment pass and you never did pray out loud. Well, you know you should have. Or you didn't go pray with somebody. You just had such a burden. I need to. Do you mind if I just pray with you? But you didn't. And you let the moment pass. Passivity produces nothing. It produces nothing. There always has to be a response. God responds to hunger. Blessed are they that are hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. 1 Corinthians 12, quickly. Look, at there's some imperatives. Listen to what the commands are. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 31. Covet earnestly the best gifts. Thou shalt covet. Hmm. One of the Old Testament commands, thou shalt not covet. But here's something you're supposed to be coveting. Covet earnestly the best gifts. Chapter 14, verse 1. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you might prophesy. Verse number 12. Even so ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Verse 13. If you speak in an unknown tongue, pray that God will give you the interpretation of the tongue. Pray for the ability to interpret the tongue. Verse 39 of this chapter, it says, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and don't forbid to speak with tongues. The Greek word in there is zealous. You recognize the word zealous? Zealous is the word. It means this, when it comes to seeking the divine enablement of God through your life, it means you are to covet earnestly. You are to strongly desire. In zealousness, seek to edify. You're to pray for the ability to interpret the tongue. All these words are strong desire. Be eager. Be excited about it. Burn with zeal. Exert yourself. Desire earnestly. Be heated about it. Be boiling over on the issue. Be fiercely zealous. There's not a hint of passivity. But it's strong words about active, passionate pursuit of the things of the Spirit of God. Our responsibility is to seek and to press in with all of our heart. The scripture puts a lot of emphasis on on watchfulness. Generally speaking about the Holy Spirit just generally speaking, we're responsible to not grieve. Ephesians 4.30 Don't do anything that causes the Holy Spirit to be sad. Don't create sorrow. Don't make Him uneasy by the way our, we think, our attitudes, words, or actions. Acts 7.51 Let's not resist the Spirit. Don't run against Him. Don't strive against Him. Don't be averse to what the Spirit of God is doing. But when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, there's certain commands. Listen to these commands. 1 Timothy 4.14, it says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you. When it says do not neglect, that means don't make light of it. I mean, don't treat this as an issue of indifference. Don't allow this to be unimportant to you, and don't leave it on the back burner of your life. As if it should be there for the rest of your life. 
Don't leave it on the back burner of your life. Don't neglect it. Don't treat it as unimportant and don't have an indifferent attitude towards it. 2 Timothy 1.6 Stir up. Stir up the gift that is in you. That means bring the bellows out and start pumping it to get some oxygen and some air on that coal that's about to die out. Don't let the fire burn out. Blow on the coals and give new life to that which is perishing. Exercise the gift that God has given you. Stir it up. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 Don't quench. That means don't suppress it. Don't stifle it. Don't throw water on the fire. Don't extinguish the flame. 1 Thessalonians 5.20 Don't despise. Prophesy. Don't have contempt for the gift or make it of less importance just because you've seen people abuse it. The answer to abuse is not non-use. It's proper teaching and instruction. Amen? So God has called us into the ministry of the kingdom. The kingdom comes in word and the kingdom comes in power. Forgive me for the repetition, but there is a sin-sick world outside these doors that needs to be confronted with the power of God. Amen? Sinners need to be healed. Sinners need to be delivered. There are prophets of Baal out there that need to be called to a contest with a fire falling down on Mount Carmel. The world needs to be put on notice that Jesus is alive. Amen? Are you in harmony with me? The world needs to be put on notice. How is it going to happen? It happens when the church accepts the responsibility to take ownership and press into the things of the kingdom and press into the kingdom and get rid of our sense of unworthiness and keep asking, seeking, and knocking, and pressing and nobody take it as a matter of indifference. God can't use somebody else to do the work He's called you to do. I can never be you. And you're needed. I'm not the whole body. You're not the whole body. We need to press in. Will God move supernaturally without preachers? He can, but listen carefully. He chooses not to. How can they hear unless someone be sent, it says in the book of Romans. Can God use angels? He can, but ask Cornelius. An angel came to Cornelius and said, go find yourself a preacher. Go get Peter. How will unbelievers be delivered? The church needs to be endued with power from on high. Luke 24:49. You tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So let us have expectancy to receive from God. Let us determine, just like those disciples were told to tarry in Jerusalem. You know what they did for the next ten days? They prayed. They were in the temple daily. They were praising God. Let us not allow fear, doubt, or unbelief to paralyze. Don't let a sense of unworthiness paralyze us. 
Let us learn to respond in faith that when we do sense God, we get out of our comfort zone and we do open our mouth and we do pray or we do go to somebody or we do prophesy. Let's, let's yield to what God is doing. Let's wait on God as a lifestyle. Let's continue in His diligence. Let's throw some wood on the fire to keep the thing burning. And let's mature and develop our gifts by using those gifts. They won't be developed unless we use them. And the more you use them, the more fluent you become in any gift of the Spirit. Let's call on God with all of our hearts. For Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I started out, and I'll finish with the reference to youth. As a youth, God met me very young. I had powerful encounters with God as a teenager. God spoke to me in very real ways. That all these decades later, I can tell you exactly what God spoke to me 40 years ago. Very clearly. I mean, once, once you hear it, it's there for life. You can't erase it out of your DNA. It's in your consciousness. I can remember clearly things that God spoke to me more than four decades ago as a teenager. I have a word for the youth in all of this. I'm glad the youth took the Lord's table today. Aren't you glad? Powerful. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Excellent. How old do you think Samuel was when God spoke to him? At the most, figuring the history, at the most he would have been 12 years of age when God, at the most, 12, at the most. How old was David when Samuel anointed him to be king over Israel? How old was he? Anywhere from 10 to 13 years of age. How old was David when he took on Goliath? Fifteen, sixteen, or seventeen. That's all he was. He wasn't old enough even to enlist in the army. Listen to this one. How old was Joseph in the book of Genesis when God spoke to him in dreams? We know exactly, because the Bible tells us he was only seventeen. Here's another one. How old do you think Daniel was when he was carried into captivity? And the king wanted him to eat that special meat and Daniel stood up to the king and says, no, I can't do that. How old do you think Daniel was? You have to remember that he served the Lord after that for another seven decades. After that. How old do you think he was when he, when he stood up to the king? He was barely a teenager. How old do you think Mary was? When the angel appeared to her and says, you're going to conceive supernaturally. Was she 13? Was she 14? How old do you think she was? Here's a good one. Old Testament, Zechariah. 14 chapters. How old do you think he was when God called him and started the prophetic ministry? You know how old he was? He was a teenager. Isaiah had a vision. I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. How old do you think he was? Because after that, he had another uh, four or five decades of ministry after that. How old do you think he was? He was a teenager. Listen to this one. 
How old was King Josiah when he became king? He was eight. Obviously, he had attendants look after him. He took over the throne in his own full power at the age of 16. At the age of 20, 20 years old, he began national reformations to lead the entire country in repentance and revival. How old was he? 20. There were two prophets that God sent to King Josiah. One of them was Jeremiah. How old was Jeremiah when he prophesied to King Josiah, who was he was only in his early 20s? How old was Jeremiah? You know how old he was? He was 17. There was another prophet that God used to speak to King Josiah. His name was Zephaniah. The great grandson of King Hezekiah, actually. Do you know how old Zephaniah was when he also prophesied to the youthful King Josiah? you know how old he was? He also was a teenager. Can you just imagine this? The nation has got a king in his early 20s, and he's being advised by two prophets who are both teenagers. Why do we make our Bible for adults only? Why do we make our Bible for adults only? Thank God for the youth. Thank God the scripture says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Amen. So youth, let me just encourage you. Don't wait you're an adult. God wants to speak to you now. God wants to invade your life with visions and dreams now. God wants to speak words into your heart that will never escape you for the rest of your life. He wants to do it now. I have a testimony that says that doesn't say, look what God rescued me from. I have a testimony that says, look what God kept me from because he spoke to me as a youth. I think that's the better testimony. It doesn't bring in the crowds as much, but, but it's the better testimony. It's the better testimony. Let us offer ourselves as vessels to God through whom he may express his compassion and express his power to a world that needs demonstration of the power of God. We know that God wants revival. We know that God's not willing that any should perish. We know that God wants all to repent and come to everlasting life. But he's not going to do it without us. And his part of the equation is to give gifts our part of the equation is to press in and to seek Him and to press in and to seek Him so that the calling of God on our life is enriched by His gifts so that we can express the power and the nature and the temperament and the character of the kingdom of heaven through people who have yielded themselves to God. God's not going to bring revival without us pressing in. 
That's how it works. It's our responsibility. Amen? Amen.